Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. First, however, let us pray. Gracious God, on this Easter day, resurrect our hearts that we might hear your word in all its fullness. Amen. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today is the highest of holy days. It is the day of our best miracle. Christ is alive. Death is defeated. Resurrection is real. There is no miracle bigger than this. I have to confess, though, it does feel like something of a smaller miracle that I am standing before you right now. You're actually watching the second recording of this sermon. The first one was fine. It's just that after I was done, I realized I was wearing a purple stole, which today of all days simply would not do because on Easter, we wear white. So there was that, but not just that. Ten days ago or so, I ran into Molly Spangler's office, utterly panicked. The lilies aren't here, I said, and we haven't recorded the liturgy and the ribbons aren't up. And she smiled kindly and reminded me that at the time we were headed into Palm Sunday, not Easter Sunday. But the real treat for my colleagues came earlier this week. I walked into staff meeting and assured everyone that I had already finished recording my Ash Wednesday sermon. John Cook took one for the team. He said carefully, Ash Wednesday? Yes, I said. And it was not until I watched them all exchange looks that said, who's going to be the one to tell her? 
that I realized my mistake. Well, when I said Ash Wednesday, I told them, obviously, I meant Monday, Thursday. So you can see why it feels like something of a not-so-small miracle that I am in front of you properly attired with the right sermon for the right day. Time is an elusive thing these days. That is one of the ongoing realities of this pandemic season, even as it draws, hopefully, to a close. That's why Matthew's telling of the resurrection is such a gift. Matthew alone, among the four evangelists, Matthew alone actually narrates the stone being rolled back. He begins his story like all the others. It was as the Sabbath was ending on the first day of the week, just as dawn was creeping in. Mary and the other Mary, he tells us, make their way to the tomb to visit the grave. Now, in all of the other Gospels, when the women arrive, they discover that the stone has already been moved. The tomb is wide open. And if those women, lost in their grief, were even half as confused as I am about the chronology of these days, they would have had some reasonable questions. When exactly did the stone move? And who moved it? Was it unsupervised at any point? Could it have been grave robbers or a Messiah-sympathizing soldier? What or who was found inside? At what point did all of this happen? Mark and Luke and John They leave lots of room for ambiguity when they tell the story. But Matthew is perfectly clear. The women arrive just in time, just in time for the earth to shake, an angel to descend, and the stone to be rolled back. They are eyewitnesses to all of it. Matthew wants to make sure we understand beyond a shadow of a doubt The stone is not rolled back to let Jesus out. The stone is rolled back to show the women and the rest of the world that Jesus is already gone. The tomb is empty. Now I know that empty has been a painful word these days. Our sanctuary has been empty. I am preaching to empty pews. Hospital rooms have been empty of family and friends as the sick and injured have been left in isolation. Kitchens and dining rooms and living rooms, the places we so often gather, they too have been empty as social gatherings of every sort have been put on hold. Some bank accounts have become empty as jobs are furloughed and workforces reduced. Maybe even some entire hearts are empty with just the sum total of everything too much to hold on to. The long slog of grief, both for us and for the women making their way to the tomb, 
It is enough to make everyone wonder if God's promises are empty too. That's why Matthew is so careful with his timeline. He is desperate to assure us that there was a day, there was a day when empty was the best news the world had ever heard. When the angel says to the women, come see, the angel doesn't say, come see Jesus. The angel says, come see where he lay. Or in other words, come see what isn't there. Have you ever tried to look at nothing? The first good word of Easter is not Alleluia. It's empty. My friend and colleague Rebecca, she knows this all too well. She and I worked together in New York City shortly after I moved to Columbia, she moved to Charlotte. Rebecca had been dating a man named Douglas. They had been in a long-term, long-distance relationship for years. They had talked about marriage several times, enough so that Rebecca was just waiting for him to propose. Except that over and over again, visit after visit, move after move, life milestone after life milestone, No proposal came. About a month ago, Rebecca went to visit Douglas. They were at the park with their dogs. Douglas ran back to the car for something. The dogs went with him. A few minutes later, one of them wandered back to Rebecca, and she noticed there was a little bag fastened to his collar. She opened the bag, and she found a ring box. And absolutely certain she knew what was happening, giddy with excitement, with her heart pounding and her hands trembling, she opened the box only to discover that it was empty. My friend says, something in me snapped. She says, I got so mad I couldn't help but think that he was mocking me or teasing me. And then I wasn't just mad, I was afraid. I was scared that the entire future I had envisioned for myself was no longer on the table. She ran back to the car with tears in her eyes, holding the empty ring box up in front of her face, shaking it at him. I'm tired of the games, she said to him. Are you in or out? It's all or nothing right now. And Douglas, he looked at her for a moment, and then he looked at the ground, and he shook his head, and he said, I'm sorry. He frowned, and he took the ring box back from her. I'm sorry, he said. I'm so sorry. But you didn't actually think I'd let the dogs run off with a diamond, did you? And he pulled a ring out of his back pocket. 
Sometimes empty really is how we get to Alleluia. Mary and the other Mary, on that first Easter morning, Scripture tells us that after seeing nothing, they run from the tomb with fear and great joy. Experiencing empty is how these women end up overjoyed. There are no details whatsoever given about how this comes to be. But honestly, that is not the biggest mystery of Easter morning. So just like we come here invited to trust that somehow God raises Jesus from the dead, so too do we come here invited to trust that somehow where emptiness leads, Alleluia follows. So what if the best way we could be Easter people this year is to let ourselves be overcome by joy? I don't know exactly how we do that, at least not with step-by-step instruction, but I do believe that Matthew offers us a guide. Remember, again, how careful Matthew is with his timeline of this whole event. After the earthquake, after the stone is rolled away, after the angel speaks, after the women encounter empty, they run, filled with fear and great joy. Filled with fear and great joy. If I understand the text, Matthew is saying fear isn't necessarily going away. There is still a lot to be afraid of. But what if now fear doesn't get to carry the day all on its own? I think that's what emboldens the women to run and tell the disciples When they realize what has happened, that Jesus is not there, yes, fear still exists. Of course, fear still exists. But now, it is there accompanied by joy. Great joy. Maybe that is the true promise of the resurrection, at least for us today, that joy can always accompany us even alongside of grief and alongside of sorrow, alongside of anger, alongside of fear. We do not have to be free of these things in order to experience joy. Joy is strong enough to come alongside of anything. Joy comes in the morning The psalmist tells us this. Joy comes in the morning, every morning, without fail. The invitation, come, see. That invitation isn't what makes resurrection real. Resurrection by then was already well afoot. Come, see isn't what brings Jesus back to life. But it might be what brings the women back to life. 
because it gives them a newfound ability to look at the world differently and let joy be a companion in all things. Come, see where he lay. Come, see where he was, but where he is not now. If Easter carries any authority in our lives, your experiences of emptiness, whatever they may be, they are a chance for resurrection to take a hold of you. And scripture is insistent that Jesus will always show up to make it so. Because not even the cross could contain him. Not even death could defeat him. Not even a stone could hold him. He cannot be kept away. He cannot be kept away from the ones he loves, including you. There is a funny tradition among some of my friends. It's a tradition older than any of us are, actually. At some point on Easter morning, at some point every Easter morning, my phone rings and my text messages buzz and every announcement is exactly one line long. Jesus is on the loose. That's it. No happy Easter, no love you, no talk to you later, no hello or even goodbye. None of that. But there is always a bit of laughter. And there is always an incredibly playful tone of voice, exactly the way you would imagine adults sound when they are playing a beloved and silly game. Because it is a game of sorts, but it is a game that contains astonishing truth. Jesus is on the loose. Now, once I receive that first phone call or text message, I pass it along. I send a text message or I leave a voicemail that is exactly the same. No extra words, no more, no less. The only rule is that once you receive the message, you have to pass it along. Now, I mean it very sincerely when I tell you I have no idea who started this way back when, and I have no idea who starts it anew each year. By now, it's actually probably way more than one person. But that's how the best news travels, isn't it? with joy that cannot be contained in ways we cannot fully comprehend. Now, of course, there's only one way that Jesus can possibly be on the loose. The tomb has to be empty. Empty really is how the best story the world has ever heard begins. Empty really is the world's most famous moment. Empty really is why we are all here today. Don't ever let anyone tell you that empty is the end. It is because the tomb is empty 
that we are filled with great joy. And it is because the tomb is empty that we can say, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.